My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in Oakland, California. She grew up as a military kid and lived all over the world, including her childhood in Japan. As you listen to the episode, you'll see that she's funny, eclectic, and raw. In this conversation, we talk about how she's learned to embrace her blackness. We talk about a particular conversation she had with her mom as a kid and the effect that it had on her. And we talk about the difficult conversations that we're all having at this time. This is my conversation with Charnel McQueen. To start, uh, how have you been? How and that's such been? a heavy question, but. <laughs> you, know, is, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of self-reflection. I've been um, identifying with my blackness more and figuring out what does it look like to be black during a revolution and like how does activism look like during a pandemic um i've been also trying to focus on my mental health because mentally and emotionally just all over the place like i took a good long social media hiatus which i've actually never done before or not actively done it's more than like oh finals are coming so i'm not going to be on social media or like, I don't really use Facebook anymore, so I don't really consider that me being active or inactive. Right. So it's it's been a lot of like setting boundaries for myself and articulating things and um, kind of going back to not childhood innocence, but going back to my like childhood bluntness. Where it's mm. like, as a kid, you don't know different social cues or you don't really understand nuances that much. So when you see somebody who's doing something and you're like, that person's picking their nose and you point at them and your parents like, don't point in public and stop <laughs> telling people's business. It's right. like one of those things where at least when I'm having conversations specifically with my coworkers about like different protests and rallies mm. and stuff, I, I'm not censoring anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't and that's and that's fine because it's 2020 and i realized that assimilating into society a very white centric european centric society that i've been censoring myself and it was due to the labels that have been placed on me and other people's identity of just like oh don't be too loud you can't be angry or no you can't like tell somebody bluntly how it is because that's a quote unquote society norm so yeah. i've had two different conversations with two people who are um my supervisor so in the power dynamic they're above me and it was interesting <laughs> damn okay so so you just mentioned so many things yeah <laughs> which makes, which <laughs> all the makes things. yeah all the things which makes sense um I, I let's go deeper into that those conversations that you've had with your coworkers. so uh, i'm guessing they're they're not black right yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, so how have those conversations gone? So before, I want to say, it was interesting because you could tell that these were two different people who obviously weren't Black, but one person was a person of color, um, mm-hmm. but who's also um, experienced, like, racism and stereotypes and almost kind of, like, was detached from them, and I'll, like, go into de- detail about that. And another was a person who's very um, kind of, like, centered focus 
or not center focused, but very like heavily influenced by Western society norms of like status. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, for example, my supervisor, um, who's the director of product, he had sent me a text message. And it was right after um, all the protests had started with George Floyd. And Mm -hmm. in the text message, I was like, oh, I'm just going to read it because I'm just like, I have receipts. (laughs) That's also what we have nowadays Mm. is that like, we're just going to bring up all the resources that are available to us. Um, But I kept this just because of like, it's a reminder to myself, but also just like HR things, if ever something comes up. But um, he had sent me a text on a Sunday and this was probably because I posted on Friday an Instagram post um, about me like taking a social media break, but also me being very personal and very vulnerable because um, I don't really share a lot of my emotions on social media. I don't think anybody really does. Social media is there to craft an image or a brand. And so nobody really cares about feelings unless that's a part of your brand. And so I decided, I was like, hey, like, I don't know if the people who follow me or um, people who I follow and vice versa, like, know that I'm black. <laughs> mm, <laughs> so right. let me remind them really quickly. And it's it's not to say that, like, you or other people who I'm friends with, like, don't acknowledge my blackness. But I'm just like, just a quick reminder for you all that where I am mentally and how I think about this every day, that, yep. like, this is going on in my world and it should be happening in theirs as well. And so obviously after I posted that, a lot of people were reaching out to me and things of that, like, and on Sunday, my supervisor sent me a text message and he said, Hey, not work related. I'm feeling a lot of pain for Floyd's family and the community at large. George Floyd was killed um, by a police officer in broad daylight. We all know it, but it's important that we say it out loud. I am ashamed of what my choice to live, my choice to live in a country that continues to do this. And so for me, it took me like three hours (laughs) to craft a reply because I had just spilled my guts on social media and I cried for like two days because all of my social media was just police brutality videos of black and brown bodies like being killed. And I was just like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be on social media. Maybe, maybe I should just take a break because I didn't realize that I was just like, being triggered every three to five seconds about some other like child kid woman dad like and all they're doing is holding a sign and saying a chant so my reply to his text message that took me like three hours because i'm like first of all i don't even know how to reply to this because this person is my supervisor second of all like how far in depth do I go because like if I go all the way then it's like on Monday I potentially will get in trouble and it's like this person came to my personal phone in my personal space while I was in the grieving process like whether or not like he should have known that or whatever he should have not even like entered my space without asking hey can I enter your space and so it's like somebody showing up to a funeral being like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And it's like nobody invited you. <laughs> like, why are you here? That's such a good um, that's such a good analogy. It's yeah. like someone going to your funeral and and making a scene just to show that they care about it or, or prove that they care about it. You know, um, was that text sent to like multiple people or just you? just me because the place that i work i'm like the only black person (laughs) so of course of course so what was your like initial what was your initial like emotional reaction to that message 
just like anger and um i i wish like there's probably a word that's close to it but like anger but like the whole like i can't even kind of feeling Mm -hmm. where it's just like you you finally like flip the table but then you sit back down and you like grab your tea and you're just like you know what i can't even with this right now like this is just like i'm trying to disassociate or remove myself from that because it just had me so angry and so my reply which is like a good mini novel so it's a mouthful i wrote um and this was three hours later i was like this took so much out of me to articulate so i probably won't reply i encourage you to research and educate yourself on anti-blackness in the world not just in the u.s and the places you call home i encourage you to research and educate yourself on white guilt in the privilege you have living in the black community of oakland i understand your intent on reaching out to me during this time but your impact came across very misguided and uneducated i said quote i'm ashamed of my choice to live in a country that continues to do this unquote I put that, that, that. This showed me, again, something I already know, that we are not the same, and you are very fortunate to say that out loud. Mm. Ironically, I just voiced my thoughts and feelings I had on social media and current events questioning the safety of my Black friends and family, not just this week, but every time I see an unarmed Black body killed. I don't have the privilege to feel ashamed when I'm trying to validate my humanity every day. It's put into question. I encourage and empower you to educate yourself before talking to me on any issues relating to Black Lives Matter or police brutality, etc. I'm tired of educating environments I navigate where I, when I have to teach myself everything I know with the same resources of those who who want me to teach them. It takes an emotional and mental toll on me when a Google search could have done the trick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I was still, even in that reply, centering myself. But there's a standard that we all need to be held accountable to is being like, this is somebody's grieving time. I should not intrude it. I should help them. And people don't understand the difference between intruding and helping, especially, for example, my supervisor, where his reply or his approach should have one don't come into my personal time it's a weekend i'm not working you are not doing any of this for me you're doing this for you you want me to absolve you of your white guilt you want me to say oh it's okay like i know that you live in a predominantly black neighborhood and you're doing the best you can that's that's what he wants and i'm like i'm not giving you that anymore and i'm like no you're you're i'm like you probably are good at your core yes you have privileges that you benefit living in the U.S., but you need to educate yourself to do this shit because I'm not going to be your token Black colleague to teach you everything. Like, you're in a higher position of power than me and have access to a lot of resources I don't have. Why can't you Google it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think there's something, I think there's something about how um, how every race in America has, like, when they see someone on the screen, on the TV screen or somewhere that is, that looks like them because their identity is so wrapped up in like the color of their skin, they identify immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something that's important to point out as well. Like this is when, when you're seeing someone that looks like you on the screen dying constantly you can't help but identify with that person because your identity is so wrapped up in the, in how you look. Um, That brings me to what you said earlier. Um, You said that I've been identifying with my blackness. Um, 
how does that look? What what's that been? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, and to reiterate, and obviously, like I know this, I'm gonna just say this for other people who don't know me, but I know that I am black, but I definitely felt it more so now. <laughs> and I say that because yeah. I work, I my education, majority of my life has been in predominantly white institutions or PWI, or I've been in classes that have predominantly white um, students. And so I've been made aware of that my whole life. Every time I pick classes, I'm like, cool, I'm going to be in honors and AP. There might be one other black or brown student, and that's about it. And for me, I've always had to assimilate to the standard of whiteness. And that means that, oh, you have to um, look a certain way, you have to talk a certain way, you can't do these different things. And even being questioned because of my features that like, I cannot change the melanin that I have been given. I'm blessed. I know that you feel some type of way, but like, it is what it is. And growing up, I definitely have learned how to, and we've mentioned this, like code switching. And code switching is basically to like see or like scope out your surroundings and being like, cool, I'm going to enter this environment. I know I'm going to have to do this differently. I'm going to have to say this differently. I'm going to have to dress differently. I'm going to have to approach people differently. And an example of that would be like, if I see you in the studio, I'm going to be like, yo, what's up, Dustin? Versus if Mm -hmm. I see um, a white classmate that I am an acquaintance with that I will politely like be like, hello, so-and-so, and and then like sit a good far distance or ask them like, oh, can I sit with you? Um, Oh, what are you working on? Like making polite conversation. Like I could just come into the studio and see you and be like, yo, what's up, Dustin? I'm fucking tired. And you're going to be like, (laughs) yeah. And like, no, like no polite pleasantries. And like the fact that I could like curse around you and do certain things. Those are two different environments because unfortunately me being my authentic self people find that threatening and it's not like oh charnel's authentic self is stabbing people no it's not <laughs> just to, <laughs> just to clarify because and it's, it's bad that i have to do that because unfortunately like living in asia that's one of the things that taught me was that um a lot of portrayals of black bodies that they see is very aggressive it's very the stereotypical like the wire they think we're all selling drugs or in gangs like that's and that's how they see yeah. it and i remember having I think it was a conversation with my friend Jayun in high school. And so of course we're like ignorant teens. And so she's just like, Oh, like you don't do that. And I'm like, I'm over here giving her the, what the fuck you mean face? Because I'm just like, why do you think like, (laughs) I'm in the same chemistry class with you. When do I have time to do that? Like, (laughs) I don't even know how to do that. And so she's just like, Oh, well I like saw it on TV and I thought, and so for a teen or a child to mm. think that I'm just like, oh, as an adult now, I'm just like, yeah, of course you're going to believe the media that has been given to you. And like, not assuming like what her parents told her of black people or what she's read about black people. But when, if that's the only resource you have, and that's the only thing that's telling you that, then like, yeah, I understand why you're making assumptions based off of stereotypes in the media. And this was before, like, this is during like 2000 and like mid 2000s-esque. So it's like, yeah, we had uh, the internet, but we didn't have like fact checking. We didn't have like, what does it mean to be black? Like Google probably didn't even have like two pages worth of information of that yet. 
And so for me, like looking back on that, like I know that we were both ignorant and that she has grown from that. And the only reason I know that she's grown from that is because I'm still friends with her on social media. And a lot of my friends who aren't black have been posting like different resources and being like, yo, I never knew about this. And like, I was very biased and I was very ignorant and like being very vulnerable and sharing their stories because unfortunately it takes somebody sharing a vulnerable story in order for somebody to listen <laughs> which makes yeah. no it says oh hey i'm bleeding out but i'm just gonna tell you something right now and like hopefully that'll get you to empathize with me and it's it's a it's like more playing on the defensive tactic versus the offensive tactic of being like hey you're wrong let me tell you why it's like hey i was wrong and I'm going to tell you why. Mm. And so people are more receptive to that. Mm. So mm-hmm. going back to identifying with my blackness is that like, I realized that I definitely like code switched in environments that I shouldn't have had to code switch for. And it's unfortunate because it's, um, I just like watched this seminar of like, where all the black designers yesterday that was really dope. And they were talking about diversity and inclusion and they were talking about like, yeah, whenever companies, tech companies or design companies talk about like, how do we improve diversity or how do we do inclusion? Like um, the black speakers were saying like, yeah, you guys are being quote unquote inclusive to your whiteness. You're just including black and brown bodies in your whiteness. It's not inclusive for everybody. It's like not inclusive for different uh, body types. It's not inclusive for uh, able body versus non-able body. It's it's not inclusive for X, Y, and Z. And talking about diversity is just like that sprinkle. And I'm just like, wow, this makes so much sense. Why anytime I hear the word quote unquote culture fit (laughs) in a fucking job that I'm just like, Oh, I don't have the word for this, but it it makes my intuition cringe and I don't know why. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, because culture fits for another word of, oh, can you assimilate in this company? Like, that's what I want to say. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) See? (laughs) I'm just like, why is it that it had to take me like four almost, yeah, four years after graduating and like listening to a fucking webinar on this that I'm just like, oh, that's what it is. Like, I thought I was crazy. <laughs> just like, no, yeah. you're very valid. <laughs> you just didn't have the words. <laughs> so, so now I'm just kind of like, fuck all the assimilation, fuck the white tears. And now I'm just being like, I've always felt that I was very militant black. And that's also because of my military upbringing. And an example of militant black would probably be like Malcolm X or like Black Panthers, where it's just like, oh, like we're going to protect our own. And that's what we're doing right now. (laughs) And so uh, that's where I feel like having other conversations with other coworkers that I've just been like, yeah, I'm just going to tell you what the fuck it is. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to appease to your feelings anymore. Got it. So Yeah. I think uh, one of our, one of our mutual friends, Isaiah, mm-hmm. um, he mentioned that he's been, I mean, this might be a topic that I, I need to talk to him about and let him speak for himself. But he mentioned that he's been looking more into like Afrofuturism and just like questioning the, um, the assumptions that he's even he's had as a black person about other black people. Yeah. Um. So that's I mean, it, it's like a collective reflection, I guess, at this point, you know. Yeah. Because it's definitely yeah. one of the things, and like 
obviously like Isaiah's perspective is different from mine, but it's like we went to, and I remember he posted about this recently where he had posted an article about like the token black friend. And then he like posted the article and then he posted the him in robotics. And he's like, that's literally me for like yeah. four years. And I was like, bruh, yeah. you don't know how much this is relatable. It's like, we obviously <laughs> talk about this all the time where it's like, that was me in like the honors, like book club, or that was me on like the debate. And I'm just like, <sighs> it's so tiring that it's just like so many people can relate to this and like even um yesterday at the the uh, the lecture or the seminar uh that I had posted because they had a slack channel going during the whole thing and they were just talking about like where are all the black designers and they're like I think the question we should be asking is how are all the black designers and I was just like mm. yeah nobody ever asks you how you're doing but they just expect you just to be doing and I just posted like one thread in there where I said, yeah, I had too many mental breakdowns in uh, my art school. And the only focus was like, why is this not done? And there were like at least over 20 people who like emoji responded and then like commented like, yeah, that was me too. I had to like take a semester off or yeah, like nobody asked about my mental health. And I said, why, why is that a thing? Like, I was glad that people connected. <laughs> You'd be like, oh my gosh, people feel the same way. But it was also just like, yo, why is that a thing? And why <laughs> are we all, like, the fact that multiple people who I have not met across the fucking globe, because there were 3,000 people in attendance, and people were yeah. commenting on my thread because they said, I identify with this. And I said, why is this a part of the Black experience to have a mental breakdown during art school? <laughs> like, that should not be it. It should not. Yeah. And so, like, I was like, damn. So I definitely know that, like, there was probably I was the only black person in my IC program like there was another student who later like transferred to another department but I had a previous IC student like interview me for their podcast and they're like yeah you're the first person to graduate first black person to graduate from this program and I was like that's a cool that's title crazy. but that's a sad title and I'm just like yeah and then they graduated and they were the first black male and I was like well I guess we're making progress question mark <laughs> like yeah right right and i guess that's insane because now now you think about it like we celebrate the first black whatever's of the past right like the first black student at this particular school or this particular university or whatever and i i assume that they must be feeling that they they would have felt the same way that you do as you're talking about this yeah like we're making progress but question mark <laughs> at the same time yeah <laughs> um so you grew up in japan um and you didn't move to the u.s until you were in high school so you have like this very interesting perspective because you can kind of look at the u.s culturally with an outsider perspective oh, yeah. But then you can also you also have this deeply internalized experience of growing up as a black person, um, maybe the only black person in, on military bases in Asia for your entire childhood. So I'm here. I'm interested in hearing about how growing up in Japan influenced your identity as a black person. Um, and how does your experience inform your thinking around what's going on right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, also, um, I'm just going to like add in, I was briefly in the U.S. for 
three years for middle school. So that was kind of like my intro to of like, oh, this is what American like teenagers do uh, (laughs) kind of thing. And then going back to Asia and being like, yeah, this is better. Um, (laughs) And then a lot of I want to say predominantly like most military bases are of people of color just because of Mm, the quote unquote like. I guess resources, I wouldn't really call them resources. It's just like, if you live in a small town and you don't have money to go to college, you're gonna join the military because that's the only way you can get out of the small town, potentially get an education or like just get away from a place you don't wanna be. And it's it's so interesting, but that's like the whole military industrial complex for another conversation. Um, So growing up in Japan, because I was just looking at photos that my mom, like back in the day when you had the Kodak camera and you had to get them developed. Do you remember those? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, She she had like a whole like a tub of just photos and we were looking through photos and she was telling me because I had a thought I was born in Florida and I was only there for three months. And then my parents got stationed in Arizona. And so I was there from like, maybe one one and a half and then we moved to japan so i was in um japan for like my early childhood development and so for me that was just like my home and i still identify japan as my home because that's where i grew up and that's where i have like my first earliest memories and like uh it was so weird i don't know if this has ever happened to you like my mom showed me a photo and i like saw it and my brain was just kind of like oh my gosh I remember this and it's just like a park that had been like um it was a park next to a tower or like an apartment building we called them towers overseas Mm -hmm. um that I could look out of my living room window and I could see this park and there was like surrounding like houses and other towers that people would obviously go to and play it and so I would remember it vividly and I just hadn't, like, seen a picture of it because, like, as, like, a kid, I wasn't taking pictures. My parents were. And so the fact that the image was exactly, like, my memory, I was just like, yo, this is so mm. weird. Like, sometimes your memory can, um, like, be like, oh, I remember this different uh, versus, like, oh, this was exactly what I remembered. And so it was, like, a weird but cool moment for me. Yeah. And living there... Um, First, before we moved on base, we lived office, and my mom was teaching English at um, an international school. And I would go with her to work because, like, obviously I was too little to be left at home. And I would, like, start playing with kids. And slowly but surely, like, I don't know how long my mom worked there, but I think it was, like, maybe six months to a year. But I had learned how to speak fluent Japanese. Mm, and yeah. my mom found out when I was just like saying goodbye to some of the students that I was playing with and she's like well, what are you saying are you speaking Japanese and I'm like yeah mom like <laughs> duh <laughs> like, like it was the most commonest thing ever <laughs> and so she's just like what in the world she's just like I guess she just like picked it up and stuff and so I did because it's just like when you live off base versus living on a military base like depending on the base they have both like English and the host country's uh, language because there are some contractors and some workers who work on the military installation as well versus living off base and depending on where the base is sometimes if you're like in a capital then they'll definitely have a lot more um, English written signs because they know that like English speakers are traveling here too but I think in the area that we were because we were at least two hours away from Tokyo 
uh, that it was predominantly everything was Japanese. So you probably had to learn it or at least learn certain words in order to get around. So I was very immersed in it, yeah. in their culture and their language. So of course, as a kid, you're, you can also learn languages very easily. So I was just like, oh, I got this. And when we moved on base, we still had uh, contractor kids or international kids that would come on base and come to our school. And I was just friends with them. And it was just cool being like invited over to people's houses and seeing like, oh, this is how you celebrate um, Halloween, or this is how you celebrate this, and this is how you celebrate that. And then like teaching me the different aspects of their culture and their tradition that it was just like, we had a calligraphy club at my school and an advocacy club, at my, awesome. which I was also a part of. <laughs> it was just like, I still have my like, wooden abacus to this day and uh that's how i know like i'm deep down just a nerd i'm just like i've accepted that that is me <laughs> and i love it because i'm just like what kid gets excitement from doing math problems <laughs> calculator and so like i i laugh about it to this day because i think it's so cute because i'm just like oh my gosh i love this and um just like different aspects of like hey you're in this country and later like i had some like internal battles of just like oh my gosh is the military just like an updated part of like colonization because these are countries we went to war with and now mm. we're like planting ourselves there because we're just like just to make sure you don't start shit <laughs> just like right. <laughs> so just like everything i know is a lie <laughs> and so i like I, I still like examine that to this day but um it was cool in certain aspects of like um, the education system at least would be like, Hey, we're in this country. We're going to learn about their fucking culture. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is nice. This is normal. And I think we had a class, I forget the name of it, but every day it would be like right after math or English or something else that we would have um, a person who lived in the country or lived in kind of like how, the U.S. has, like, counties or whatever, uh-huh. and so live in the county, like, teach us about, like, their culture and their traditions and, like, learn different things, and, like, obviously, like, to me, I think that was the most impactful, and that's one of the things that I enjoyed about going to school was being, like, oh, this is my favorite class of the day. I get to learn about Japan. Yeah. I get to do more and like we would go on field trips to like their um like legislation houses and like learn about different um shrines and temples and what they mean and it was just like so cool and i thought that this was a normal thing (laughs) (laughs) and it should be because it's just like why can't we take 30 minutes out of our day to learn about a different culture I don't, I don't think that's like that hard to do. I don't think it's anything problematic as long as you're like learning from the person who is in that culture and also acknowledging that just because we're talking to Miss So-and-so who lives like maybe two hours from us versus Mr. So-and-so who lives 30 minutes away, their lives are still going to be different. Yeah. And how they showcase their culture is going to be different because city living versus suburb living is still different living, but that doesn't make them less of the person who lives in that country or more than the other person because, oh, well, they didn't do it right. And it's like, well, do you know the history of why they use this versus this tool or why they actually use this food instead of this food? And there's like there's always a history and mm-hmm. there's always a story behind it that I feel people are stuck on, you're doing it the wrong way. Or this person told you this, oh, they must not be rich or they're probably like poor, like only poor people do it. And I'm like, do you know why 
poor people do that. <laughs> like right. you think it is a choice, like it is not. Like let's critical think. Um, that's one of the things I feel Americans don't do well. And like me, I still know I'm an American. I definitely say things that people look at me like, Charnel, you were born here, you're American. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm still calling out my country for its dumb ass shit. <laughs> like, so I was like, hold ourselves accountable because we can do it better. So I definitely think growing up in Japan taught me about another culture that was so open to teaching me mm. and so open to letting me do traditional and cultural values that I was just like, this is me. I'm a part of this. and that acceptance like I feel and maybe it was also because I was a child but like there are other people especially black people who lived in Asia who have similar stories of being like in their teens or in their like young adulthood or even in their earlier or later adulthood that they felt accepted Mm. and that's something that I was just like oh maybe there's this uh, acceptance culture or there's just this feeling of acceptance that me and other black folk identify with being in Asia. And it was just something that was so beautiful. And it still sticks with me to this day. Like anytime people are talking about like, oh, where do you want to travel? I'm like, Japan, (laughs) Japan, top spot, forever top spot. Like ideally I would love to like live there or like own like a spot there that I can always come back to. But it definitely is still like a perspective that I hold dear in my values. And something that I know that, like, yes, I know I am not Japanese. I'm not going to pretend that, like, oh, like, this black girl thinks she's Asian because she's lived there. It's like, (laughs) no, I fucking know that. Like, and the reason I say that is because people definitely assume that whenever I hype up Japan and people are so quick to be like, oh, well, did you know that they treat darker skin Japanese? And I'm like, yeah, I do. (laughs) Plot twist, right? (laughs) It was like, nobody's going to shun you for being like, oh, I'm proud to be an American. I'm like, you know about slavery and the mass genocide and, like, the internment camps they also put? Yeah, (laughs) like, nobody's coming for you like that, like you love what you love i will tell you if something specifically you love is problematic but besides that i'm not gonna like shun you or shame you because you love something yeah and it's yeah it's it's one of those things that i'm just like oh i remember the first time using chopsticks i remember like i have a blue in like it's like a blue and a gray like kimono that i still have i can't fucking wear it for shit but like (laughs) i have it (laughs) (laughs) because i'm just like oh i fucking love this and like um my mom has pictures of me doing a traditional uh japanese tea ceremony and like uh going to festivals where they i I forget the name of the drum but they have like um this festival where they beat on those big drums and it's like music and they have like different like paper lanterns and paper dragons like all of these like awesome things that i'm just like oh this means this and this means that to this day like obviously i forgot about it and i need to research it to know what it actually is in the history behind it but as a kid i was just like wow this place is so full of life and full of like community and full of culture and it's just so beautiful and then i came to the u.s Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, take me back. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think I think for me it was definitely on the extreme case because I came to Texas and like no shame to Texas. Like there are certain aspects of Texas I do adore. Oh. But it was very like um I remember being there when I was in middle school, so sixth grade to eighth grade. And I didn't understand this whole like 
A&M versus UT, so University of Texas versus University of Austin. I think it's, I forget what the A and M stands for, but there's like this intense fucking rivalry between just two schools. Yeah. And like, it's just like, what it, I was like, okay, so you guys aren't on the team. You don't have any family members on the team. And like, but you just hate anybody who's an Aggie and you hate anybody who's a Longhorn. And I'm like, I don't, I, like, this is your culture. <laughs> Yeah, it right. was like that face of just like this is acceptable this is what is high caliber god tier to you and i said this ain't it <laughs> this ain't it so it was it's just like things like that that i was like it definitely is a whole different culture like if you break down the like the u.s into subcultures like the south is its own thing california like right. east coast versus west coast and then texas also has its own fucking subcategory because it's very different yeah very different definitely what what was like um if you reflect on it now and you like compare your i guess your thought process or how you experience life um compared to like your classmates when you came back or came to the u.s what what do you think is like a big difference that you see or what surprised you uh openness (laughs) openness uh definitely very much uh perspective and I guess that also ties under the umbrella term when like I define empathy it's not feeling sorry for somebody it's understanding their situation without having to be in it so it's like Mm. um I I broke my ankle skateboarding I don't know if you've ever skateboarded but you know you're like damn that fucking sucks like yeah (laughs) and that's because maybe (laughs) you've broken a bone before in your life and you're just like oh I know I haven't broken my ankle but I feel that pain and that experience of like being in a cast for three months and not being able to move and like going to physical therapy. And so that was one of the things that I remember ex- like explaining certain things to my Japanese friends of like, oh, this is what we do. And like, this is why my house looks like this. And they're just like, oh, okay. Like it wasn't like, a, okay, like that's weird. It was more just like, oh, this is open and this is new kind of like, they'll like say like uh, one of the things too whenever um like to this day whenever I'm talking to my friends whose native language isn't English whenever they're trying to say a word they're always like oh it's like when you have like a pudding that's like colored and I'm like oh like jello and they're like yeah it's like this version of this and Mm. so moving to Texas it wasn't there was no like oh it's kind of like this but not really like this there was no leeway of trying to understand the other person it was just like no you're wrong and i'm just like Hmm. okay (laughs) like y'all are just very close-minded and of course i know that i lived on the north side and we were like one hour away from the military base because my dad didn't want me going to school there (laughs) he's just like no i don't think you're gonna get the right education and so i went into um like this is my first introduction to the public school education yeah and it was so weird because i was like first of all you guys don't have block schedules a lot of uh department of department of defense and education systems or dods uh whenever you're overseas they have like Um, block schedules and block schedules is where you have like their classes two or three times a week but it's for an hour versus 45 minutes Mm. and so going to a public school in texas 
our we had eight classes 45 minutes a day and i was like how are you supposed to learn anything like you can't get anything else. i was like this doesn't make any sense yeah. um and i realized that it wasn't actually about learning it was about memorization and they had this whole like texas assessment of knowledge and skills i will forever remember this fucking task yes um <laughs> that we had to take every year and i was like what is up with all these motherfucking tests like shouldn't we be able to like have a conversation and I can like tell you what I've learned and like showcase that I can critically think and count and da da da. No, we had to have good test scores. And I was like, I, since we lived on the North side, which was predominantly white and predominantly like middle-class and higher that like, of course they had like the best test scores because we had money, they had other resources, they had better opportunities. And I was just like, wow, so basically my intelligence is based off of how well I do on the test. And I said, I have test anxiety, so I'm just going to fail. Mm. <laughs> so, I fucking hate every time we had to take those goddamn tests. But I, one thing that sticks out to me specifically is uh, we only, the people of color ratio was basically the same as CCA, like 3% of every race. Yeah. And I remember this was also during the time of um the bush administration i think it was either after or during and we were like fighting the war on terror quote unquote and we had some students that were from saudi and i was cool with them because i was also i lived in turkey at the time and obviously saudi and turkish people are not the same but like talking about middle eastern culture and talking about like the different like mosque and architecture like i got to experience like field trips and go there because we still had that like cultural class in like elementary school that i was like oh my gosh like tell me about where you're from and like oh tell me about your food like do you have cheese naan and like all this other stuff so i was really open to it because i was like i've never been there i want to go there tell me about what your life's like yeah. and so i had friends who were like from different areas um and i just remember one of them like had a traditional like head start and there's this one kid his name is fucking austin he's such a fucking racist even like as a kid i just remember him calling me the n-word and all this other stuff and so i'm like i already know that you're holding the confederate flag high during these times uh, that uh -huh. that tracks and um he was like making fun of this girl's like headdress and i was just like dude what, what the fuck is your problem and like because everybody in the class was just like fine with it but i was just like getting so heated because i'm just like this is a person living her life living her culture and you're being fucking trash and he's just like, well, her people are terrorists. And I was just like, no, she's fucking not. And her people are fucking not. And he's like, how do you know? You haven't lived in the Middle East. And I was like, actually, I fucking have. <laughs> so, one of those things where people are just like, you don't know. You've never been there. You've never done that. And I was like, actually, plot twist, bitch, you're wrong. <laughs> And it was just like, I just remember that moment because it was just like the gratifying of like everybody being like right and being like, I'm right, you're wrong. And I was like, no, 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 I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> and I just like, just remember him turning like bright fucking red and like not saying anything. And it was like, exactly. <laughs> so, I was just like victory over the racist. But it, it was just one of those things where it's just like, I, even to this day, like living in Asia, even in high school with like ignorant problematic people saying stuff that I never had to have a conversation about somebody else's culture or race and justifying that they should be able to live their fucking life yeah and maybe that was also because like living on a military base like 
it's kind of a given that like, hey, there are other people who live a different life than you. And that's okay. (laughs) So living, that was like a huge like cultural shift of that perspective and openness and empathy was not there at all. And I said, this this is your king? (laughs) I said, no. I was just like that moment of Black Panther where you see T'Challa like follows the river. You're just like, no. (laughs) Like, oh my God. So I was just like, I I don't like this, and I don't like this at all. And like, my friend group was definitely very close knit. Of course, there was one other black girl in my year, and of course, we were mm-hmm. friends. And her name just happened to be Chantel, and I was Charnel. So you know, because there was only two blacks, the teachers got us confused all the time. I said, I said, this girl, I was like, she also she had longer hair than me. We both wore glasses. Or I, she wore glasses, I wore contacts for like the rest of the two years. And she was also a track star. So she was more lean than I was. Like she didn't really have, like she was toned, but I had like more muscle from playing other sports. And so I'm just like, we physically do not look the same. Just because, and our names aren't even spelled the name. Her name is Chantel with like an S-H and then T-E-L-L. And I was like, mine is Chardell, C-H and then N-E-L. And so I'm like, Y'all mean to tell me y'all can tell all of these white Texans apart, but can't tell two <laughs> Like, I don't understand. And, like, for one year, I was, like, angry at her. And, like, when I look back on this, like, obviously mm. this was, like, displaced anger of just, like, I hated being in classes with her because I knew that my name was going to be called wrong or be asked wrong. And I was like, that's not on her. That's on the fucking teachers yeah. for being fucking stupid. And I was just like, Wow. So, but we, we're like still friends to this day and she like lives in uh, San Jose now. Mm. And it was just like looking at um, my friend group from like my childhood, I always found like at least one black person. <laughs> it was always like, I wasn't the token. Right. And it was also, it's just like, I had white friends, but majority of my friends were people of color. And it wasn't a thing that I realized until now, but it was like, oh, I'm seeking community or seeking people who are like me in some aspect or form. And of course our friendship was easy because it was just like, oh, we can talk about like, I remember my best friend at that time, her name was Alexa and she was Mexican and she had invited me over because her grandma was coming from Mexico and we were like making like homemade food. And I was like, we were making so much so I just remember the best sopapilla ever like mm. fucking amazing mm. and it was just so cool that I'm just like learning about her culture learning about her food learning about like oh when I'm 15 this is gonna be my quince and like I was like oh what's that and like the openness was there just because we were all from different backgrounds and I wanted to learn about their culture and they were cool about it and like she felt comfortable enough to like speak Spanish to me even though I like I didn't I took two years of Spanish and my Spanish is trash I can like listen to it and read it but as far as pronunciation goes I I just fuck it all up so I'm just like I'm just gonna write (laughs) so I just remember that she'll just be like yelling at me in Spanish and I would just like reply to her in English because I would know certain words that she would teach me or that I remember from class and that comfortability like I love that I love when my friends feel that they can like speak their native language around me and not feel the need like oh I always have to talk to Charnella in English or I always have to Mm. say this or I always have to translate it and all this other stuff because even though English is my native language like I don't want them to sacrifice their identity or their being or their comfort 
just to do something. Yeah. And like to this day, some of my friends who speak Spanish will still like speak Spanish to me and be like, oh, you don't know what I'm saying. And I'm like, no, I picked up on it. Like you want this or we're going to go get this or you're upset. And so they're like, oh my gosh, are you learning? And I was like, yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> like we've been friends for years. I hope I pick up shit. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like when I, some of my roommates were Korean and they would be like, um, Oni juiceo something and it'll be like oh juiceo is like I want and like Oni is like sibling or sister and so I would just be like they would be like pointing to it and I would just grab it and they're like oh <laughs> just like, yes yes I know what juiceo means that's <laughs> like, yes <laughs> so it, it that's just an environment too that I feel comfortable around it's just like growing up in Japan where you hear people speaking Japanese Japanese and Korean are not the same yeah um I have to say that just because some people who are very ignorant and very racist they're just like it's all the same I'm like actually if you listen you can tell so when somebody's speaking uh, Japanese yeah. or Korean or fucking Mandarin like it's not that fucking hard but um people don't want to put in the work and people aren't open to new experiences however that is that is not us so <laughs> whenever like it, it feels like home to me when I'm in a place where somebody is speaking their natural tongue or somebody's making food from home like anytime somebody makes fucking binbop I'm just like yo let me get some anytime somebody's making lumpia I'm just like come through like I just want a whole tray of it and I like remember it was we all do. <laughs> I don't know we if you ever do. yeah exactly <laughs> it's like you've been to the Filipino function where it's like they have so much food that I'm just like I get that you have 12 people here but you made it seem like it's for 40 and I'm just like yes and somebody's auntie is always filling your plate and I'm like fuck yes <laughs> like I remember having an Idis nap at one of my, I think it was like, uh, it was some celebration for something. And my classmate had invited me over to their place. And I was like, cool. And so me and my mom came because like, I think my dad was working or something. And we were there for like four hours. I had taken a nap. <laughs> in Somebody's room because I had eaten so much. And <laughs> I was like, yeah and then we're like leaving and my mom still has like those like tin trays yeah, that you course. get like at a cookout for the ribs and then we're like taking that home and she's like I'm gonna cook for the next week <laughs> I was just like what and so it's just like those are different moments that I'm just like wow community wow family yeah. wow togetherness yeah and it's that's something that I just associate with like Asia that's like so much and it definitely has to do with like the not naivety, but maybe it is the naivety or like the child, the child innocence of like race was never a factor mm -hmm. when you're a kid. Like the only certain situations I've ever had do like talking about race or like uh, microaggressions or straight up racism has been with white folk or with ignorant black folk um, or like, yeah like most of my early childhood memories of racism has been with like white and other black people yeah so i i want to talk about a conversation you mentioned i think on instagram um that you had with your mom mm -hmm. when you were four about being mm -hmm. a black woman in the world um can you talk about what that conversation was about and how it affected your perspective yeah it definitely was um 
<laughs> it was like speed. It was like perfect segue because um, my first instance of race, and this is like a sad topic where it's like there was a, I think it was either Vox or some like quote unquote news thing mm-hmm. was doing like the first time you talked about race and it was specifically like black people. And the, it was all before the age of like 13 yep. that they all had that conversation. And like, that's something that me and also like, my black friends talk about it. It's just like, oh, I had that conversation when I was six. I had that when I was seven. Oh, I had that when I was four. And like, why is it that you're four years old talking and it's not even like, oh, there are different races of people that come from different cultures. It's people aren't going to like you because you aren't black. That was the conversation we all had. It wasn't that like, oh, like the reason so-and-so does this is because their race is that. Like, it was not a fun fact (laughs) part of learning. It was, Oh, I was specifically, I was feeling sad because I had told this boy I liked that I liked him. And he told me, oh, I'm not allowed to like dark skinned girls. And I was like, I don't know what that fucking means, but I feel sad because one, I've been rejected. And then two, I'm being rejected on something I can't change. Like I, I comprehended that part. And so my mom had noticed that I was feeling like down and she was like, hey, for now, what's like, what's going on? Why are you sad? And I was like, I told her verbatim what he told me. And so she's just like, oh, I thought we had more time before we had to get to this place. But I was obviously wrong because she she grew up in the South. Yeah. And so it's just like you are just born into that life. There was no conversation. And so she had to, like, express to me, like, hey, like, first of all, like, if this person doesn't like you, then this person doesn't like you. You shouldn't feel bad about it. Like sometimes people aren't going to be your friends and you have to be okay with that. And it's okay to feel sad, but you shouldn't feel sad all the time. And then she proceeded to be like, and then some people aren't going to like you because of how you look. And I'm just like, oh, because of my hair, because of this. She's like, no, because of your skin tone. There are some people for no reason at all. And this is also, she had to explain to me, like, this is not, his own thought process this is something that he's got from his parents mm-hmm. and this is something that has been instilled in him at four years old that it's just like these people are not pretty these people are not going to be great partners and you should not like them at all and the the sad part is this boy was also dark skin this boy because he's dark skin that means that majority like what are both of his parents are also dark skin and it just happened to be his mom who was dark skin So to instill those thoughts in a young black boy's mind that black women aren't beautiful is saying your mom is not beautiful. That's saying that you have a sister. She will not be beautiful. And like his grandmother, his aunts and cousins, whoever are not beautiful. And so that's already harming our black community of saying that y'all ain't beautiful, which turns into y'all ain't worthy, which which turns into y'all are just extra, which turns into nobody's ever going to love you and all these like, um standards of romance and relationships that black women are the bottom i think it's like asian men and like black women are like on the bottom of the tier for picking relationships or being picked in relationships yeah and so that started at four years old for me of just like this was just a romantic interest that turned into a racial conversation about how people will not like you because you're black and she said, this is nothing to do with you. This is having, this is all having to do with them. And that is their problem. And it's not on you. And so she was very much so adamant about instilling that it is not because of anything you did, anything that you will do. That is just their ignorance. And that is their hatred that shouldn't be there. 
Yeah. And that was at four. <laughs> that was at four. Like the fact that I'm 25 and I ha- remember this conversation vividly is just like trash. It's because a it's like moment. a four year old. To- yeah. I'm just no. like at four. Four. When you're picking between, oh, do I want c- to color in crayons or colored pencils? Like that should be the only choices that they should be making at four years old. Yeah. But that's not, uh, that's one, we don't live in a society where that can happen, unfortunately, because there are still black kids today that are having to explain when they see somebody on TV that looks like them, like, mommy, what's happening? And it's like, well, let me tell you about police brutality. And it's just like, cool. So in that moment, like, I don't think my innocence was stripped, but I definitely had to grow up more. And I couldn't like bask in the easiness of being a child because now it's just like, oh, does this person like me? Or does this person hate me? Like, does this person like me? Or is this person now, then we go into the territory of just like, oh, this person is angry. Are they actually angry at something I did? Or are they angry because I'm black? And right. it's like, oh, are they like afraid of me? Like, why are they afraid? Are they afraid of me because I said something that made them to feel afraid? Or are they afraid of me because I'm just black? And like, not that, like, I feel like that's an after effect or like a side effect of having that conversation of like, as a kid, now you're questioning, like, are your friendships valid? (laughs) Are interactions you have with people valid? And so whenever, like, as I got older, and like, people would say conversations of just like, oh, it's because I'm black. And then I would be like, oh, no, like, let's be optimistic. And let's and I'm like, no, no, that's valid. Mm -mm, Mm. Completely valid. Like, I don't even have to be there. I'm just like, I just know, because you're a black person, that like, we all have internal racial biases, that whether or not they consciously did that or subconsciously did it it was probably because you were black and it's unfortunate but now it's just like as a kid I used to be like oh let's think positive and I'm like as an adult I'm just like nah <laughs> like <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> like yeah so it, it it was definitely a defining moment for me and so that was the thing that I shared was because I was feeling all types of like grief emotions and like I write um, fiction and poetry and I was just like oh maybe I should just write something and I was not expecting the reaction that I got but it was definitely something that I was like George Floyd's death was a defining moment for um, the U.S. and I was just like I want to show my defining moment of when I was like a child being exposed to this like some of the people who are now just educating themselves is fucking 2020 but some people are now just getting on the boat And I'm just like, yeah, like, y'all need to catch up because there are millions of other Black kids and people who had this defining moment before they reached the age of double digits. And that's even if they could reach the age of double digits because of the society we live in. Yeah. I I think it's really telling that um, that the, the, the kid that said it to you was also Black. Yeah. I mean, that's, there, there's so many, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, there's so many issues that are just wrapped up in that alone. Um, but yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that, like, part of my thesis was because of that moment as well, is, like, stereotypes are harmful, um, not only to um, non-Black people who perpetuate them or assume them, but the Black community itself. Yeah. Because it's, like most interactions that I've had and for a brief moment I lived in the south for almost a year which was an experience in itself um was 
like being around my cousins who are all black grew up around like they had the environment where they would go to school and they were the majority right and because of that like their interactions with me were based on a lot of ignorance i had my cousins telling me like oh charnel's trying to be white and that's because i'm reading a book like i'm a nerd i like to read Mm. like that doesn't make me white yeah and so but they were under the impression of like this um, these actions equal whiteness and therefore if the black person is doing the actions of a white person they are trying to be white right and specifically in the south in different communities there's like a lot of like clusters that are just like oh we're so pro-black that we don't do anything white and unfortunately some of those <laughs> communities are ignorant in the aspect of like this is not a white action anybody can do this action like but because they define that with whiteness Charnel is trying to be white and like, oh, like I still remember I, because I was also in honors or quote unquote, like they call it the gifted class in elementary. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in like a gifted class and I, it was predominantly white students. And so I made friends with them because we're kids and I got invited to like their house for like a birthday party or whatever. And I just remember when my cousins was like, oh, Charnel's like so uh, cool now. She's like hanging out with Lila Grace and she's going to Lila Grace's house. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what the problem is. It's like, Charnel's got her little white friends. And I'm just like, yeah. I would have black friends too. They just aren't in my class. Like, I can't help that. And so there was definitely a lot of like projection and a lot of anger and a lot of just ignorance. And like, I'm not going to fault my cousins for that because they're kids and they definitely have changed because I see all the posts that they post now about like educating themselves or learning more about it. And I was just like, this is like ideals that their freaking parents have instilled in them. Yeah. And so, but as a kid, I was just like, wow, black people don't like me. <laughs> and I was just mm. like, cool, cool, cool. And it wasn't that all, obviously, not all black people, but um, it was just that my cousins who were being taught and like things that were being said from their parents they picked up where that's what they instilled in them then they're projecting this on me and so now i have a negative outlook anytime i see black people because i'm afraid now that they're going to judge me because i like to read or because i like i would get made fun of by other um some of my cousins are like light skin like drake light skin and so it's just like I would get made fun of being dark skinned. Like, obviously, I cannot help that. I like being in the sun. I have two black parents. Like, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Like, hey, I'm confused. And I just remember in high school when I was in um, South Korea, there is this one sibling of my friend, like my best friend, her boyfriend, and later we became friends. His uh, younger brother would always be talking shit about dark skinned people. And I'm just like, bruh you're dark skin like you have so much internalized hate yeah that you like he would just be like clowning us on like oh we can't go play um what is it called it's like hide in the seek but like a uh, manhunt that's what it was uh like we would play manhunt like at the teen center at night and he'll be like oh we'll make sure all the darkies um are on opposite teams because you know we can't find them and i'm like oh what God. the fuck and so yeah, he would, like, say shit like that, and of course, like, his brother and, like, other people would be just, just be like, dude, shut the fuck up, you can't, we can't see you either, like, you think you're better, <laughs> you're not, 
And so it's just like moments like that where it's just like he would do that because of all like internalized self-hatred, but trying to like fit in with like the other military kids who were light skin or who were Asian or who were mixed in some aspect. And I'm just like, you did this for what? (laughs) I don't understand. So it's just like any time that I would have to deal with those situations, it was like black people who were very ignorant or white people who were just straight up racist. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, what the fuck is this? And for a time, um, I remember like my parents were like, oh, she's going to be like dating soon because she's in high school. And my mom had already like accepted because we live on military bases and majority of my life has been spent in Asia. I'm probably not going to date a black like the odds are (laughs) the odds of this happening is just like very slim so this is not a surprise to me so it was like interesting that like she like mentioned this to me later that like her and my dad were having a conversation about like interracial relationships Mm. versus like uh like dating because they're both black people who got married and dated each other and so there was this whole because there's in the black community this whole topic of like oh are you still pro-black if you date outside your race and i'm like right. yeah you still are like you're not sacrificing anything if anything you're gaining an ally who's not in the black movement who's learning and supporting and protecting you um that's something that i still think is like important and beautiful and i'm like you love who you love like if i happen to love an asian woman that's just gonna be what it is like i didn't pick that that's just what it is but that doesn't make me any less black because i'm gonna go down the street with her and they're gonna see me black and it's so weird because like um in oakland like maybe not oakland and sf i had two different reactions with my white partner who we were going to a spot on Telegraph and we were like holding hands and it was like the summer. And so I'm like, oh, cute, wearing shorts and shit. And this AC transit person is driving and he's honking at us and he like rolls down his window. He's like, hey man, you get it. And I was just like, why is he being praised (laughs) (laughs) for holding my hand? I was like, this is trash. This is fucking trash. But it was just like, so I got that energy in Oakland. And then when I went to SF one day with the same partner, we were going to dinner and we're holding our hands. I have my Afro out and this lady who's driving a car with her other black friend and they're both black and they roll down their window. They're like, hey, sister, I love your Afro, but you need to find you a black man. And I'm just like, Mm. I'm like, there are two types of black. (laughs) 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 And I'm just like, this is trash. This is trash because I'm just like part of my my first reaction is to be like oh yeah find me one who's not (laughs) self-hating and then i'm just like chardelle you can't be like just yelling because like we're it was like by union street so it's like all these fucking busy ass people so everybody sees and hears this nonsense so they're waiting for me to pop off and do the stereotypical black thing and i'm just like i can't do this and so then in oakland it's just like we're going down like a normal street with like not a lot of people and that reaction happens and i'm just like why do black women always get critiqued by like their choices in life i'm like why can't i get this same energy for black men or just holding people accountable that's the thing i'm just like I have done nothing wrong in the situation and yet my white partner gets praised for being with me. And then when I'm with my white partner, I get demonized for being with them. Like, yeah. what, what? I was like, y'all can just leave me the fuck alone. This is the energy I get. <laughs> that's, that sounds about right. Leave, leave everyone the fuck alone. Just chill. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cause 
because I'm just like even in a situation in like where it's a black man who's dating like outside of his race or vice versa like somebody always has a commentary of just like y'all babies gonna look cute and I'm like stop fetishizing mixed race children yeah I don't know why you felt the need to say that like yes maybe they both have beautiful features and that's what made you say like oh you will have beautiful children but why do you care about the state of somebody's like child yeah. <laughs> like you're not their parent like that's the thing like when you break it down to the crux of it that i'm just like and like when people say these things like in like cca or at like school or like in different meeting places like a kind of a weird um thing that I've acknowledged is that I like making people uncomfortable when they say problematic shit because Mm, I'm like mm -hmm. you just said a weird ass statement that made (laughs) us all feel fucking weird (laughs) but you don't acknowledge it yeah now I'm gonna return the favor and now you're getting flustered and you get upset because you've been called out on it like I'm like oh why why does it matter what their children look like oh are you like their godmother like did they already this like oh excuse me i didn't know they had already like said this like <laughs> they've just been dating for three months but now you're already fetishizing and imagining them children yeah like i missed that part i missed it <laughs> <laughs> then it's just like i don't i don't know why you have to take things to that extreme and i'm like oh i'm not even taking you took it to the extreme last time i checked they've only been together three months and you talk about children like <laughs> but i don't want to take it to the extreme okay it's <laughs> like interesting (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's interesting like how a relationship could be like a political statement almost to some people and i think at the end of the day it's it's also just like projecting your own insecurities on other people you know like Mm -hmm. i'm sure everyone has position that they come from the assumptions that they have like you dating a white partner could mean to them that like you're trying to be white Whereas to you, it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to be a person who's in love, you know? Exactly. Yeah. The little things. And it's just like the questions that I hear from other people whenever they like ask about relationships specifically. I know this is like a side tangent. It's just like, oh, how do they look? What do they do? And all this stuff. And I'm like, do they know what mental health is? <laughs> do mm. they know what <laughs> communication is? And it's just like, our priorities are not the same. And yeah. I think that's a shift from like a generation like our parents generation to like our generation to where I'm just like that's my main concern whenever my friends tell me they're dating someone new I'm just like cool 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 um so do they know how to communicate with you (laughs) do they know how to voice problems you guys actually have discourses not arguments like these are the things I talk about especially if they're like queer or person of color and I'm just like but is he down for the movement though? But does she show up? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, these, are the, these are the questions. And I'm just like, uh, one of the jokes I have with my friends is just like, um, is he is he down for the revolution and can he handle these thighs though? <laughs> so, <laughs> you gotta be able to handle the thighs. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, when I'm tired of marching all day, you're gonna carry me. So. <laughs> I just want this to be known. I just want this to be known. So it's <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, now, because I know when I was like younger, I was definitely just like, oh, I just want somebody who's like pretty and like smart. And now I'm just like, nah, they got to acknowledge my identity and the systematic oppression that like my people have been through. Yeah. <laughs> like standards are going up now. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's, I think that's a good segue to the next question. Um, what do you value most in people? What do I value most in people? 
Um, that's a great question. It's like, how do I break it down? It's like a yeah. list of things. I think my top five, definitely empathy, because if you can't feel for another person, like I can't fucks with you, whether or not like you're black or queer, like if you can't see like the oppression and marginalization in other groups of people that aren't white, obviously, then I'm just like, we can't be friends. (laughs) We just can't. Um, Definitely vulnerability, which is something I'm still working on is that like, um, you have like your friends, quote unquote, then you have like your close friends, you have like your best friends, you have like, bestie wifey whatever um and I feel that being vulnerable I only have with like a few group of people Mm. and it's not because I trust them or lack of trust it's definitely because like this has built over time where vulnerability is also given and shared where it's like oh I'm gonna tell you a story about my trauma wow how are you going to react to that? Are you going to support me? Are you going to run away? Are you going to do all these other things? And then for like one of my really, really good friends who I feel like my communication is like top peak um, because she'll always be like, Charlie, you're such a good communicator. I'm like, no, I am not. <laughs> I am good. I'm good with you. And that's because I can actually be vulnerable. And we were like discussing like, why is it that I'm good at communicating with her, but with other, but with other people, not so much. And it was just because we had this safety of, like, I can say something to her and she won't judge me. And I think people forget that judgment, like, uh, a space without judgment is still being like, uh, hey, I hope you're safe. Um, I don't think this is a good idea, but I still love and support you. Versus somebody being like, oh, I won't judge you. And then as soon as they tell you something, they're like, oh, my gosh, how could you do that? And it's like, okay, now I'm feeling attacked. (laughs) Mm-hmm. this is why I didn't want to tell you in the first place and so there's ways to actually be in a non-judgmental state that is still caring and supportive because I think people when they say oh my gosh why could you do that they're coming from a place of support and caring there's just a lot of judgment behind it and so it's like how do you remove like what does that statement sound like without judgmental tones yeah and I think she's like done a lot of work on herself to where she can still do that and she can still voice those concerns of caring that's not judgmental. And that also, so I guess like empathy, vulnerability, non judgmental, um, also like honesty. And I think during this time in the pandemic, but also like the revolution and uprising, that like. I think a lot of people are afraid to be honest and not only with like other people, but with themselves of being like, I know that like I had a lot of internalized racism myself. Like I wore color contacts up until like I went to college that fucked up my vision, but because I thought brown eyes weren't perceived as beautiful. That's why I wore color contacts. Like I chemically straightened my hair for multiple years because I thought straight hair was like, the defined beauty standard it's not and then it's like once I realized that I like shaved off all my hair because I was like gotta start this shit over because Mm. (laughs) this is all damaged now (laughs) but it's like I can be open enough and tell the story with you and like other people that I know that like yeah I hated the way that I looked 
and like I thought that my my blackness was not beautiful and that was a journey that I had to go on and learn for myself because my mom also went through that journey and when she asked me like okay Chanel if you want to come to straighten your hair you have to keep with the upkeep you have to keep going to salons and doing x and doing z she knew that like obviously she shouldn't do this but she's just like this is her journey and this is she's going to learn this on her own right and so she gave me that like agency to do that and i think being honest about like things i've done in the past things that i currently do and things i will do in the future is something that people struggle with because people especially white people i think like feel oh my gosh like i said the n-word that one time and i can't let anybody know and it's like you posted it on twitter like we're all gonna fucking know i'd rather you just be honest about it yeah right like, yeah i fucked up yeah. <laughs> i was like because these generation zers they tell it out all the receipts and i'm just like yeah i i think honesty is a hard thing to do because there's honesty the the way you deliver it too like i'm a blunt person and that gets me in trouble a lot because the tact is not there where it's just like there will be meetings like literally <laughs> in work meetings my supervisor will just be like so what chanel is trying to say and i'm just like i know you're trying to ease the blow but i said what i said i said i don't understand why we're building this <laughs> Like, yeah, right. That's what I said. And so he's over here just like, I think Chanel's trying to understand like what why why would we build this now versus later or what is the the end goal or the MVP? And I'm just like, I said what I said. Like he can answer it like if he wants to, but and yeah. so I understand in certain like quote unquote social situations, like especially in friend groups, I will say some things <laughs> should have been an inside <laughs> thought. Um that's who I am as a person and I know in certain situations where if somebody just got like attacked I'm not gonna be like blunt I definitely am gonna read the situation of it and be like hey instead of asking you questions let's like how can I support you that's what we're gonna do right now what do you need from me instead of like saying the first thing that pops into my mind or like me getting curious and getting inquisitive and being like, okay, how do we catch this person or how do we report this? Or like, maybe we can get some tapes and all this. Like that's what my mind would be doing in that situation versus like, this is a person who just got attacked. How can I help them? Right. Um, so that's, that's one of the things I think with honesty is very complex as people is that judgmental undertone of just like, Oh, I will be honest that I did some problematic shit, but I know people are going to basically crucify me. So I'm not going to be honest about that. And it's just like, oh, fuck. And we're not going to get anywhere. So I think, yeah, honesty, vulnerability, empathy, um, communication is another thing, which is a forever uh, topic that I'm also trying to improve on because it's sad that I know we all know the fucking quadratic equation of a squared plus b squared equals c squared, but we do not know how to tell a person when they are making us uncomfortable or set boundaries or confront somebody when those boundaries have been crossed. Why is it? (laughs) I know that. I know how to do math that only scientists use, but I can't be like, hey, so you know that statement you said? uh let's have a conversation about that because it made me feel uncomfortable because yep. i'm just like nowadays i'm just like nah that's just wag you fucking racist <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> done it's like no Chardell, you can't <laughs> like in some situations yes that is probably the perfect like phrase to say but when it's a conversation where it's just like oh somebody said something that's like 
um, like, oh, why did this make me feel uncomfortable? And I'm like, oh, because you're prescribing to this like society standard of whiteness. And I'm like, oh, that's what it is. And it's because I don't have the words for it or I don't have the resources, but still communicating that an intuitive feeling or an uncomfortable feeling is valid Mm -hmm. is something that I feel should be prioritized over like next level math. Like, I still don't know what stocks and bonds are, but I know that quadratic equation. Like, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that's, that so. just goes with all the issues that come with the education system. <laughs> I mean, so mm-hmm. many. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, they keep talking about going to college to learn interpersonal skills. And I'm like, we still don't know how to communicate with each other. What are you talking about with yeah. learning interpersonal skills? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think those are the values I want in people, right? Like, you need in people, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so before I ask the last question... Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Um, it's funny that we like had this podcast um, or we had this interview uh, like, fuck, was it like three like, months ago? It was a, a while ago, ago, but yeah. yeah. And you had asked me, you're just like, oh, what's the one thing that you're afraid of? And I was like, oh, that like everything stays the same after this pandemic is over yeah. and nothing changes. Yeah. And I was just like, you got your oh, wish. well, I guess that, yeah. <laughs> My fear is that. I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> I was like, wow, we put that into the universe and it happened. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was just like, oh my gosh. I think about that all the time whenever like I'm watching um like some latest story or some news quote unquote news report where I'm just like, yo, I still remember the time just to ask you this question. <laughs> That's hilarious. So they're Yes, I was like the revolution is happening, so I'm 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 not afraid anymore, which is nice. That's like crazy. I'm still concerned for the safety of like my friends and family and stuff, but like a lot of things have been happening, and I'm just like, yo, this is like this is what happens when we band together as a community, as like a state, as like a nation. Like there's still some problematic shit still happening because like obviously like it's I don't know if people know about this but like indigenous women are being like taken and killed like indigenous lands have like the highest like COVID records like they we still have children in cages like at ice like agencies that are being gassed like we still have a lot to do but I'm like if we keep the same momentum going that like these topics that I'm saying right now won't be happening like continuously and that's that's the ultimate goal is to just be like, like once um, we're, we're like when one of us, like we're all free when we're all free. Like it's not just like black people. It's not just indigenous people. It's not just like immigrants. It's not like all of us. Yeah. And so it's, it's a, it's not a, it's a, what, what, what's the quote that's been used? It's like, it's not a racist movement. So it's just like, we got to keep the same momentum going. Yep. Definitely. Cool. Last question. Same question as last time, but I'm, I'm interested to hear. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say this time. <laughs> so, I know. Like, what else am I gonna put on the YouTube? Um, so, go ahead. I'm like, I know. I'm like, what? What am I fearful about? I guess I'm. I think, yeah. I think I would probably have to sum it up in one word. It's just like complacency I know it's still it's still relevant to the previous answer I gave but like I don't want change to stop 
And I feel like even like, say we fix all of the problems that are happening to every marginalized group that we're still just like, cool, we're done. Like, I don't want us to ever be done. Mm -hmm. I guess is my fear of just like, there's still something going on, whether it's domestically in the US, like internationally, it's like, cool, say like the US gets their shit together finally. Like, why are we still like in the Middle East? Why are we still bombing Yemen? Like, why is this a problem? Like, why are we not like helping people that we should be helping, especially when we've caused mass like infrastructure like being dismantled. We need to go clean up all of our messes elsewhere. It's like when you're a kid and you're painting in your room and then you go into the kitchen and you make yourself a snack and then your friends come over and you watch a movie in the living room. You've only cleaned up the kitchen. Like you still need to go clean up those other areas that you were fucking around in. Yeah. So I feel like it's definitely that is like the next step is to be like you cleaned up your room now go clean up the other one yeah cool what did i ask you about the statues last time yes you did okay here we go you ready for it (laughs) (laughs) we as humans put up statues (laughs) we as humans put up statues of people not because we love those people but because we love what those people represent and this question now just feels so relevant because we're taking down <laughs> mm-hmm. statues everywhere um but when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue that represents you what would you want that statue to look like and what do you want it to represent mm-hmm. what do i want it to look like and what do i want it to represent um i want my statue to represent openness and inclusion and diversity even though like that's a fucking buzzword right now or at least in tech yeah um and i want it because i want it to like i feel that i embody what diversity and inclusion means to me that i want every person to feel comfortable being their authentic self i want somebody who's just like hey like I want to fucking watch anime all the time. And I also want to read about like uh, the African diaspora. And I'm just like, yeah, that's fucking dope. And I want to say this in my native tongue. Like, Mm. awesome. Cool. I'm just going to break out this book and I'm going to start translating everything you say so I can understand you. Amazing. Don't change a thing. Like that's, that's what I want to stand for because I feel like a lot of the monuments, obviously that we have, standing today are hella problematic that we still have like christopher columbus statues when this man committed genocide like what does that stand for and i'm just like it's it's definitely weird being an american and when people say like oh that's not like oh uh like when they see police brutality or like some injustice happening they're like that's not the america i know and i'm just like are we reading two different history books because that is what america is built on it's built on genocide slavery rape like disease war like that's the america i know and it's just like i that's not how america should be and america should be a place where people can be their authentic selves without fear of persecution or assimilation for survival so it's like that's all the things that i feel like what diversity and inclusion should be and what I want my statue to be of. And I guess, like, I, I don't know what. Because I, I don't want to have an actual statue of myself. I feel like that's very, like, centered in 
ego of like, I want my face here in this space represent or my body to represent these ideals. And it's like, I don't even think my body could hold those physical ideals. Like our bodies is just a vessel. Yeah. And like going off into a tangent, um, one of my friends is like a spiritual healer. And um, she was talking about the ego and like man or humans like self. And I was like, yo, what does it look like? Um, and I've also been like watching Avatar The Last Airbender. But I'm like, yo, what does it look like in our society to reach like an avatar state of like enlightenment? And how he like opens up like the seven chakras and he's talking about like grief. He's talking about love. He's talking about guilt. And he's talking about all these things that I feel as humans we go through and that we experience, but we don't articulate well or we think these things to be negative. But once we access those and like accept our past faults and like our like current self, but also our ancestors and like different generations and different groups, that it's like, yo, what does that enlightened state look like? And I guess like the statue itself would be like <laughs> some avatar state of just like <laughs> reaching enlightenment. Because I'm just like, yo, I don't think my body or my a statue of myself could even contain those ideals or those practices or those um livelihoods that we aspire to be and so i feel like the statue would be some object or like spiritual representation of that yeah i know that's very vague but like yeah so i know that that definitely changed <laughs> a lot <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at WeAreEarthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.